Welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you'll hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Alexis Geeger of Little Clip. So welcome to the show, Alexis. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Oh, good. Uh, For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm Alexis. I started my business, Little Cliff, during the pandemic. Um, I have been in St. Louis for about eight years. I came here for school at WashU, and I've worked with a handful of fashion brands in the area, and I'm excited to be venturing out my own enterprise. Cool. So exciting. Um, so yeah, you kind of, let's kind of start at the beginning. So you, you went to fashion school. Did you... Um, like what kind of brought you to fashion as a career? Um, I remember looking at schools when I was in high school and thinking like, oh, I'll find a school and like eventually figure out a real job to pursue. Like (laughs) I'll become like a big adult physician type thing. But then I found myself constantly looking at art schools and I was like, oh, wait a second, people actually do this for their jobs. And so that kind (laughs) of led me down the path of, of pursuing what, um, I do now, um, which is fashion design. My grandmother was a seamstress and a designer herself. So that kind of runs in the family. So that was kind of a a natural progression for me, at least. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So then you mentioned that you worked with some brands locally. Um, Can you share a little bit about like what that experience was like working in the industry? Like, was it kind of difficult? I think a lot of people think like, oh, if you're not in New York or LA, it's hard to get a job in fashion when you graduate. Like even people here, you know, I know have like moved out of state when they graduate to find work in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I somehow managed to not ever do an internship in New York even though I had definitely set my sights on New York at some point. But um, my sophomore year um, summer, I interned with Emily Coppler at Wei Ming, who actually, funny enough, became my boss again at Somersault a few years later. (laughs) The fashion scene is a very tight-knit community here, and you end up seeing the same people um, along the way, which is really nice. I mean, we met at Somersault also, and now I'm connected with you through your podcast and through... FGI, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to do that internship in St. Louis. I also interned with the St. Louis Fashion Fund. Um, I worked with Audra Noyes at her brand Audra. And from there, I went to Somersault um, for two years. And so I feel like I've gotten to meet a lot of really wonderful movers and shakers within the St. Louis fashion community that way. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of like a mix of more independent designers, um, you know, more luxury, more, um, I guess, middle designer level. And then, yeah, big and small companies too. So I bet that's, that's like great experience to have. For sure. And now I'm at Soft Surroundings too. So I'm like hitting all of the... I know. And that, yeah, that's my catalog <laughs> company for listeners who don't know. But um, yeah, so kind of I, all levels. Um, so then what led you to kind of the entrepreneurship side of things and starting your own brand? Was that something that you had always wanted to do or was it, did you just kind of fall into it? 
Um, some of both. I think it was something that I wanted to do eventually, but it was never an immediate thing that I wanted to pursue. I knew that the business side would be challenging for me because that's just not my background. And <laughs> I took one <laughs> business class in college and I hated it. So <laughs> I knew that, that would be uh, a, a bit of a challenge for me. But um, the pandemic presented a new set of challenges, which kind of opened the door to entrepreneurship on my own. Um, I was laid off uh, from my job in March of 2020 and pretty much immediately started making masks. So I was in my apartment just sewing pretty much every day and it made me remember, oh my gosh, I love making things with my hands. <laughs> it was so satisfying to be able to do something that was very necessary and also really satisfying to see a physical product go out the door that I had made, um, which I mean, working for a bigger fashion brand, you don't necessarily get to be hands-on where the product is made if it's being made overseas. So mm -hmm. being connected to the making process um, really got me excited again. And from mask making, I kind of started to do freelance projects here and there. Um, I started getting more into mending as the pandemic went on and suddenly that became my business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it was kind of thing, things around you were happening and then things that you, you kind of like went back to maybe the roots of what you loved doing. Um, let's talk about that for a little bit because I, like in fashion school, like it is very hands-on, like obviously very design focused and we didn't go to the same school so I'm sure they're slightly different but with design pro programs it's like you're really focused on the design and the process of it and the research and then the hands-on of actually making it whereas the industry sometimes can be a little bit different than that where you're you're not spending as much time as the things you were spending on in school so what were maybe some of the differences between the different roles that you had, like both in school and then, you know, interning for, you know, fashion fund designers and then working for big companies. Oh, wow. It was all very different experiences for sure. I bet, yeah. Right. Because in at school, we had a heavier emphasis on creative process, creating mood boards, making really beautiful sketches, presenting our work in a really professional way, which is excellent and a great foundation. But as I quickly learned in the industry, you don't often have time for all of those beautiful hand-drawn illustrations mm -hmm. and perfect mood boards. You kind of have to turn over designs a little more quickly. So um, getting used to a new time frame was something that I enjoyed learning about, even though you know you take some of the creative romance out of the process. But I actually really did love um, meeting with vendors, getting to know what it's like to work with a factory. Mm -hmm. um, I had the opportunity to visit New York and Sri Lanka with prior jobs to visit factories there and see where the product was being made. And that was so exciting. I'd never yeah. seen it. <laughs> I was like so used to just like plodding along on my own machine, but to see people, you know, who are much more skilled than I am and go like infinitely as fast was crazy mm -hmm. to see um and also helped me understand um what the faster fashion process was like um mm -hmm. right so it's a, it's a different way of working but um I think what 
I missed in terms of creating hands-on I made up in learning about fit and mm-hmm. um, attending fittings with technical designers has been like such a eye-opening process for me. How, how so? So like in design school, you make one garment and it's for a model and it goes on a runway. Yay. But mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're working for a specific brand with a specific customer, you know, you're working with your customer's body type. You want to make sure that the fit is on par for a variety of sizes um, and being, you know, really conscious of um, how your customer feels in the garment. Um, also just like, I'm so um, inspired and amazed by like the technical designers that I've worked with because I, I know like a very small amount of pattern making, but like the ability that they have to transform a garment from something like kind of messy looking to something that like is really tailored and like flawless on a body is mm-hmm. like spectacular. I so admire that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of, it's like a puzzle. Yeah. Three-dimensional puzzle. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) I was a fit model for a little bit, so I'm used to (laughs) saying how things feel, but not necessarily having the language for how to make a garment better. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So um, I feel like the last few years I've been learning a lot about um, the technicalities of fit and how to make it better. Mm -hmm. So that's been a cool learning process. Yeah, and that's huge. I mean, me as a pattern maker like I'm always talking about fit and like always thinking about fit and learning about fit and I think it's so important that you know to learn kind of exactly what you're saying like being able to translate oh this doesn't feel right or this seems to like look kind of weird or slouchy where I don't want it to and then to know how to adjust a flat pattern in order to correct that um is like super important with what I do (laughs) Right. Um, like I remember there was one day we were fitting swimsuits in Sri Lanka and I had a swimsuit on and one of their designers came over, just took a pair of scissors and cut the suit like straight up the front. And I, at first I was like, ah, but then I realized it actually was like, oh my God, wait, if we just add that much that they cut out right here, mm-hmm. this will be perfect. And I would have mm-hmm. never thought about that. So it was cool to see it hands on and like how that can be affected in like really interesting ways that my brain doesn't immediately gravitate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you have to be like prepared to like literally cut the garment like that, which is super scary, especially if you're not used to that. Um, like, what are you doing? Cutting in this perfectly good sample, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's hard to, especially if it's too tight, like you really, it's hard to estimate how much to, it's way easier to like pin it in than it is to estimate how much to let out. Oh, absolutely crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Fit is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. So once you got like back into mending, was that something that you had kind of done before or, or kind of a new thing that you picked up as you were making masks and kind of considering your own brand last year? Um, I feel like I'd always done men's for myself, but not in any way that I considered, professional or as something that I could market Mm -hmm. Um, I just was encountering you know rips and holes in my own clothing over the years that I would repair but um, I definitely dug into some forms of craft during the pandemic that I had wanted to for a while and never had the time to do so 
I got into natural dyeing and I attempted to uh, make a vat of indigo in my kitchen, which <laughs> worked for a little bit. <laughs> but then I realized, oh wait, like once everything is taped off and like, uh, I can't, I can't go in here and use my kitchen anymore. So oh, yeah. <laughs> not really a sustainable <laughs> option mm-hmm. for my apartment. But um, I started reading some books. Um, one of them was uh, a book by Katrina Rodabaugh called Mending Matters that I found phenomenal. I love denim. I, my thesis collection was denim in school and her book is a lot about um, Sashiko and Boro uh, inspired mending practices. So I did some of the tutorials from her book and really enjoyed the practice of it. And from there, just started to experiment with with my own sort of mending and um, desire to offer that service to other people because I also you know cared very deeply about sustainability and I know how hard it is to find like the perfect pair of jeans. Mm-hmm. It's like absolutely heartbreaking when they bust open and you can't wear them anymore. So. I wanted to be able to help other people and keep their clothes around longer. Yeah, yeah. So at what point did you decide like this could be like a business and not just a hobby or, you know, something that you were learning um, over the pandemic? Um, I think it was the middle of the summer when I'd been making masks for a while and really did enjoy working for myself and having so much time to work with my hands and thought, how can I sustain this? Like, how, <laughs> how can I, you know, keep my studio running and keep making things that I like? So um, it first started off with some experimental pieces. Like I would find stuff at Goodwill that were pretty badly beat up and challenge myself. Can I repair that? And if I could, then it was like, oh, cool. I've learned a new skill. I know that I can repair this thing. And, you know, here's another garment that doesn't go in the trash. Like, Mm-hmm. So um, as I started working through those projects, I started to realize more of what I liked. Like I love workwear and denim, um, mostly wovens, but I'm kind of branching out now and learning more about repairing knitwear. Um, so it's it's kind of like an ongoing challenge and learning process, which I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And, the, and using different techniques too. Mm -hmm. um so do you have kind of like a favorite way of mending because I know there's like ways to mend things where it's like hidden you're kind of just returning it to the construction it was before and more like creative um like design detail ways that you can mend things where it's a visible mend um do you have kind of like a go-to or a favorite way that you've discovered Hmm. um I think like the, the men's that I get that are most common are like if you've ripped the butt of your jeans open. And for those, mm-hmm. I prefer a more subtle men's because you don't necessarily want all of your focus to go right to your butt. Mm-hmm. So for those, I prefer like a machine mend with um, a similar colored uh, fabric that, or fabric patch on the inside and a thread color that kind of blends in. Um, there's some really amazing denim repair artists uh, that I found over the last year or so that make men's that are pretty much invisible. And I think that's really cool and, you know, really admire their work. Um, But I also do love, you know, 
adding a fun like quilt top patch to you know a busted knee or Mm -hmm. using an accent thread color to define the edge of a hole um, just to make it a little more special. Um, I also love getting pieces that people have already mended because I get to see you know what their personal style was like um, when they were mending it and sometimes it's just like reinforcing their mend. I, I do like preserving the identity of a garment. And unless someone says, I want all the bells and whistles and fringe and colors, then I'll probably stick to something more subtle. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So do you like, you You mentioned like getting some pieces that were beat up from Goodwill and mending those. And then also like kind of doing special mends for particular clients. Um, do you do you kind of both for your business where like you're you're investing in the pieces fixing them and then like having inventory then to sell or is it all kind of like custom mend work um I'm kind of straddling between the two right now I've had a couple of pop-ups in the last few months which have been excellent but also made me realize oh I probably need to expand my inventory and usually after a pop-up I'm pretty much wiped out of product so I'm trying to organize my schedule now to maintain a good amount of custom mend projects, but also being able to sit and work on things that I love and want to bring back to life. Mm -hmm. Um, So at any given time, my studio is absolutely packed with stuff, but it's not necessarily (laughs) inventory to sell, which Mm -hmm. is an interesting (laughs) problem of like inheriting, you know, a lot of really beat up clothes that I don't necessarily know what to do with when I when I find them or someone gives them to me but being able to sit with them for a while and figure out what it really needs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah so where where do you find pieces like just thrift stores you said sometimes people give them to you yeah it's actually really- it's like every piece is different I'm sure so it's not like a traditional brand where you're investing in like 500 pieces of the same thing or 5,000 pieces of the same thing. Right, exactly. Every piece is totally different, which definitely throws off the traditional fashion rotation of, you know, efficiency. When you have to mm-hmm. slow down and figure out what each piece needs individually, it definitely is not the most streamlined process, but I think that's what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's great is actually my parents have been really great recruiters <laughs> for my oh, nice. brand. And um, in the last month, they have had two friends um, who are older guys that have just bought the same pair of Levi's for decades, worn through a pair in a year or two, and they just keep them in a closet forever. So I've inherited two giant bins of 501 jeans that are all worn out in just about the same place because these guys wear them the same way. That's and, hilarious. And yeah, they just, they really just kept them even though they were like, were not wearing them and they weren't fixed or anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's funny what people like accumulate and sit on and clearly they meant something to them to hold on that long. Um, and it means a lot that they were willing to give them up to me. Yeah. So I'm hoping to um, repair a couple of pairs and return them to the original owners and then figure out a life for the rest of them. Cool. Yeah. yeah, that's a really fun story. I bet like all this, like knowing the stories behind some of the pieces as well. Oh, for sure. Um, I've also started working with some awesome local vintage dealers in town who sometimes encounter pieces that 
you know, they don't necessarily have the budget to spend on repairing a piece, but they think it's really special. So I've gotten pieces from them, which is great because they, they know all the secrets of where to source things and, you know, what estate sales to find and um, what antique stores to hit up. Um, so that's been a really great um, collaboration as well. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. That's a very like unique like vintage store and then what you do it's like they go so well together oh for sure it's really exciting um to work with like seasoned vendors because they bring in stuff that I'm just like oh my gosh this is beautiful where'd you find it (laughs) and getting like an influx of you know new goodies to look at all the time is really exciting Mm -hmm. Uh, I've learned so much about construction and details from different decades just being able to work on those yeah, yeah, that's so fun. I, I'm like envisioning it right now and like, oh, I wish I could go look at all that. <laughs> <laughs> it's big fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like looking at the like history textile archive or something. History oh, museum. totally. And so many things that I get from vintage sellers to fix are made by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely don't know. I, I think it must have been a much bigger deal um, in decades past to sew your own clothing. So it's really exciting to, you know, see hand stitches on a dress or like a zipper that's put in by hand. Um, Mm -hmm. and those are the pieces that I'm like, I I don't want to like change the (laughs) the integrity of this dress very much because it's so special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So fun. Mm -hmm. Um, so you mentioned that you've done some like pop-up markets recently. How did those come about? And like, what were people's kind of reactions coming through and seeing you know that these are old clothes being made new again like it's kind of a different feel from like you said a traditional fashion brand Mm -hmm. it's been good so far um I've really enjoyed being out and actually talking to people in person and letting them see the garments touch the garments um because there's only so far you can go with with social media and um, websites to view garments. It's really exciting to see people, you know, trying on the pieces and stuff in in real life. And sometimes the men's are so tiny that they're a little hard to capture. Mm -hmm. So um, I enjoy it for that aspect. Um, It's also a really great way for people to get in touch with me about men's because I have people come up all the time during pop-ups saying like, oh my gosh, wait, I have like a pile of clothes in my closet that, you know, are beat up and I don't know what to do with them. And I haven't had a place to bring them. Like, I'm so excited that there's someone who can help me fix these. So that's been a really great way to grow my mending business as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I can, I can see that where it's like, you have a little bit of, like, so you normally bring a little bit of inventory and then also you're advertising for like the custom projects too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Nice. And like having some product there to sell is like kind of a nice visual library to show people. These are the kinds of mints that I could do for your clothes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like a little, like a portfolio that I can take with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really smart. <laughs> yeah, it worked out really well that way. It's like, yeah. Because sometimes I go to these markets and some of the bigger vintage sellers have racks and racks of stuff. And I'm like, I have one little rack. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But um, no, I think it's been working out really nicely and people have been very supportive and it just brings me so much joy to be out and interacting with people again and telling them about my work. So yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, do you think like part of the interest, I feel like over this past year and a half now, I guess, um, like I've noticed more like your average consumer who's you know not behind the scenes in the fashion industry, um, caring more about you know, what they have in their house. I, I feel like during the pandemic, everyone went through like a closet purge, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm stuck in my house. What, like, do I need half the stuff? Probably not. <laughs> um, and then with just like everything that happened, rethinking like what is important to me? What is in, like, what is important in the things that I purchase? And um, then, you know, what is important about the things that I'm keeping around me or that I'm wearing? Mm-hmm. And so, I feel like there's been a little bit of a shift where um, like secondhand or vintage or mended clothing is more like it's becoming more mainstream Mm -hmm. um, and popular. Have you kind of seen that as well over this past year with like the people that you're talking to at these markets and people who are getting their clothes mended? Like is this these people who have like always valued that or are are have you seen people who are kind of new to this? whole concept and way of interacting with fashion? Hmm, That's a good question. Um, I'm definitely surprised by how many people have reached out to me for custom mending projects. I mean, I knew that people were out there that, you know, everyone busts clothes eventually Mm -hmm. and things wore out, but I think the demand was really surprising, Um, especially working for brands over the years that, you know, were constantly pushing new product. Um, It was enlightening to see so many people that were really cherishing pieces and keeping them for years and years. Um, Also, I think um, I've I've had a lot of people come to me with heirlooms, like things handed down Mm -hmm. from other generations that are really special and they want to keep around more. And it's, you know, those pieces are comforting, especially in the last year when we couldn't see the people that we loved. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mending your grandmother's quilt or um, a jacket that you got from a grandparent, um, I think was really special for a lot of people to do. Yeah, yeah, that's another great aspect of it, kind of the sentimental side of keeping certain pieces around. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's just been a huge resurgence in vintage and selling on Depop. used clothes of all types so it's exciting to see that market blossom but also somewhat intimidating getting into that (laughs) space because it's a finite resource so if there's a lot of people doing it then then it's it's a little little intimidating but I'm glad that I I can offer the aspect of mending I think that sets me apart from um, other people that are selling vintage or resale Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that isn't a unique thing. I, I feel like the resale market has been around for a long time. Um, maybe it's more popular now, but yeah, the mending is it's a unique skill that not everyone has who knows, understands the construction, understands how to reinforce maybe an old or delicate fabric or area, you know, like... Mm-hmm. It's, it's not as simple as like just sewing a button back on, you know, I feel like that's maybe the extent of most people's mending capabilities, if they even have needle and thread to do that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I think I took it for granted growing up that I always had a grandmother and my mom who could help me sew things and not everyone has that. So I'm like, I'd love to be anyone's grandmother for hire to like help <laughs> fix anything that they have textile wise. <laughs> I love that. That's so fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm that person in my family where like, my family brings me stuff like my parents can both sew a little bit and then my brother and sister can like sew a button on, but like they always just had me do it because they're like, you're so much faster. You could just do it for us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And actually my grandma brings me stuff to like mend or hem for her too. So I'm the grandma. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Fam- family seamstress, but it's fun. That's really cool. You're able to kind of participate in like the special memories for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really special that people, you know, share their stories about their clothes with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's what's maybe like the coolest story you've heard so far? Or a cool story if you can't think of one. Um, one of my dad's friends who used to work with my dad way back in the day sent me this absolutely beat up um, old corduroy shirt. It's like his favorite work shirt. Um, it had, you know, holes around the cuffs, um, around the collar, pretty much every seam was pretty worn. Um, but he rides motorcycles cross country and sent me a bag full of patches that he'd collected on motorcycle rallies and asked me to integrate those into the mend, which was a really exciting challenge, um, both to reinforce the garment and um, use these patches that he'd accumulated. And so um, we were able to come up with a really excellent design that had all of his like rad (laughs) motorcycle patches all over it. He was really excited about the end product. Um, He's like, yay, my wife won't yell at me anymore because I'm wearing this beat up shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's a special shirt. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That was a good one. Um, And then, you know, I've been able to reconnect with friends that I maybe haven't heard from in a while that are like, we love what you're doing, you know, want to support your business and we'll send something in. And I'm so excited to reconnect with them over a favorite garment. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I bet the, the types of things people are getting mended are the things that kind of hold those special memories. And so it's like, you get to share that in here they're they probably are eager to sh- to tell the stories too mm-hmm. yeah it's really sweet nice. <laughs> I got a sweet box from one of my friends in California and she you know included a sweet note and details on the garments and your cats all over the box that she sent <laughs> <laughs> so it's like ah it's like getting sweet care packages also <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's so fun <laughs> so I bet too, like, how, how do you think, like, doing all this mending and seeing the construction of these clothes through the different decades, like, how, how has that affected your job, your, well, I, I don't know, like, part-time, full-time, or your job at uh, Soft Surroundings and, like, being a designer in that aspect? Because I bet it kind of informs a lot of, like, your understanding of garment making and how it's going to last. Oh, absolutely. Um, The weird thing is that I design for sleep and knits at Soft Surroundings and mostly work on wovens at Little Cliff. And sometimes the disconnect is kind of weird. I'll have to like, you know, shift over from the knits Mm -hmm. mindset to the woven mindset and vice versa. 
Um, but it is really exciting to see how things are made. Um, I tend to find um, like more reinforced like linings in older garments, mm -hmm. um, some like really interesting seam details that I wouldn't necessarily think to design or think like, oh, this might be too complicated to convey to a factory easily, but um, really make me think more about the little details. Um, mm -hmm. I think in a way like designing for online and social media marketing, definitely find myself thinking about like, what is the overall image more when mm -hmm. I'm designing um, for soft surroundings or when I was at Somersault, like trying to think of something impactful that you get the full message at once. Um, but then when I'm working at Little Cliff, I'm finding myself wrapped up more in the like tiny details and like specific buttons and closures and how seams come together. And um, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition that it, I'm hopefully <laughs> can take bits and pieces from each to apply to each um, mm -hmm. workforce. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. I wouldn't have thought of that, of how like more in a, you know, a digital marketing age and, and, you know, an online shopping age, the overall look is more important for sales, certainly than, you know, you're not there being able to look at those tiny details like you would mm -hmm. in a tailor's shop or, you know, just a, a physical brick and mortar retailer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's works different parts of my design brain. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. What, one is maybe a little more technical than the, the, and the other one's maybe more conceptual in a way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I gravitate more towards the details, but that's because I'm always thinking about the construction and the, the technical end of things mm -hmm. rather than I'm not the one designing the garment. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I think that also works in terms of like working alone versus as a team too, because I mm -hmm. find it easier to talk through those big concepts and designing a garment as a whole look um, within a store or within a catalog. Um, it helps to design with a team. And I really love my team that I work with at Soft Surroundings. And it's awesome to work as a group to think of something as a cohesive brand image. Um, mm -hmm on the weekends and the evenings when I'm at Little Cliff, I can think like micro scale. And that is also very comforting to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, like working small and like being a perfectionist on tiny things that I can control. Mm -hmm. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, under, I understand that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I will rip out stitches if they don't look like as I want them, even though it's like <laughs> so mm -hmm. slow and tedious, but you know, I can, I can be a perfectionist in my own studio on my own time. So that's kind of nice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you'll notice those tiny details of, you know, that make like really quality clothes too, or like be really picky with your own work, you know, even things like you know, I have in the past, like when evaluating a new factory been like, okay, 
does this does the waist seam line up perfectly on each side of the zipper like when you zip it up you know if it's like offset then it like bothers me you know like uh, yeah I won't be able to see anything else <laughs> I know yeah so it's like all those tiny things was like is it crooked did they like sew the rib on the neckline slightly tighter on one side than the other and it's just like yeah all those tiny things yeah mm-hmm. you can like really get into the weeds when you're taking the time to do an individual piece for sure (laughs) so yeah you have two jobs and so I'm curious how you balance working on Little Cliff and working at Soft Surroundings because I feel like they're both probably full-time jobs (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's been an interesting balancing act Um, I will say it was easier in the winter when it was still lockdown time and there wasn't anything to do anyway. So mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, balancing social obligations. I had a lot of time to just ferment in studio and think and work. Um, so now that things are opening up, it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge to not uh, neglect any of my jobs um, to go out into the world and see friends and, <laughs> and frolic. Um, but I'm working on a couple of scheduling updates right now to hopefully streamline my process a little bit and make it so that I kind of have to force myself to schedule <laughs> more in mm-hmm. advance and kind of balance my time better. Maybe not get so in the weeds about the tiny stitches anymore, <laughs> um, although I do love it. Um, but just figuring out ways to streamline my process and taking on new clients and finding you know bigger um, swaths of just solid, you know, uh, hands on the sewing machine time. Um, mm-hmm. But the lovely thing though, is that I think as a lot of people have experienced in the pandemic is that we have the flexibility to work remotely more often. And mm-hmm. um, that is really excellent. Like on the days that I don't have to commute to stop surroundings, I'm five minutes away from my studio. So just cutting out that commuting time in the day is excellent in terms of yeah. the- juggle more projects um Mm -hmm. but it's something that I'm constantly learning and shifting around and figuring out what works best um right now I'm working evenings on Wednesdays at Little Cliff and um Friday afternoons Saturdays and Sundays it's all kind of like squishy and like if something comes Mm -hmm. up I can you know pretty easily morph my schedule around whatever needs to be done but um, I'm also someone who thrives in the schedule. So I think uh, planning will be helpful for me moving forward and like learning to use my planner again. Like I didn't use my <laughs> planner for like eight months. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have anything next week. I know I don't have any plans. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's like 2020. I had like two friends' weddings, you know, and they were, yeah. you know, small and rescheduled kind of thing. Um, and I'm like, that's really all I'm doing all year. So yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. I'm working and then cooking food and doing those two things. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It was not very much to, to plan. So now I'm getting back on board with, with planning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you have kind of like favorite tools or things that you've learned or mindset to kind of balance a little bit kind of that business or the logistics side of being your own boss? My gosh. (laughs) Um, Since I'm like spending time away from Little Cliff and like 
several day increments, it can be hard to maintain everything that I have going on. So I'm switching to like a scheduling platform, um, still playing with that, but I think that'll help to have like a digital reference mm-hmm. um, to be able to integrate with my website, to be able to send invoices all from the same place and actually have a solid record of all of my um, projects that I'm working on. Because nice. uh, right now I'm kind of like, I have my planner, but I also have email and I also have Instagram DMs and I want to mm-hmm. those into one place so that it's easier for me to track down so I don't forget things. So other people who are making appointments with me are also on track and we're all in the same schedule. So um, that is, I'm, I'm working on condensing all of those things. I've also really enjoyed using ClickUp, um, which is a, a heard of that. app. Um, yeah, you can make like infinite like lists and it's really satisfying that you can like check boxes off and you can see like completed tasks and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have like a running document with my accountant and I meet with her once a month and like it's amazing what I don't retain from appointment to appointment so I have like a running document that's like all of our appointments ever so I can like refer back to those notes um, and also because it's like a part of my brain that I've never really exercised <laughs> so I'm learning a lot about that and it's nice to have it all in like one contained reference <laughs> yeah yeah spreadsheets are our friend Yes. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're a big spreadsheet person. I actually enjoy them, but I do um, love a spreadsheet. That's actually how I kept track of all of my mask making orders um, earlier yeah. on in the pandemic. And um, once I, you know, made a website for my projects and, you know, moved to in-person appointments, it got a little more scrambly, but yeah, like I have every single order recorded in one place and it's very satisfying. Yeah, yeah, I bet. It's like, yeah, my spreadsheet has like pie charts and graphs and track year over year and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, it's so fun to like look at the numbers sometimes. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> of like the numbers behind a, a creative business. Um, yeah, I, I did something similar actually in terms of like planning and scheduling last year because I was like I spend so much time back and forth on emails being like okay you know are you available this time this time or this time and they're like no not those times and what about these other times and then you've got like five (laughs) of those going at once and you're like just kidding somebody took that one time so I'm no longer available at that one time (laughs) Uh, so yeah yeah, I like I got um a Calendly is what I use for my like appointments and stuff so then like creates the zoom, it like checks my calendar availability and creates a zoom link and then reminds everybody about it. And it's like so much more streamlined. So yeah. I love it. That's I, that's the program I'm experimenting with now. So I'm glad that mm-hmm. you have experience with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really, really nice. I haven't had to think about it. I'm just like, here's the link, pick it, pick a time that works for you. And then it pops up <laughs> on both of our calendars and sends the zoom link. So uh, love it. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, what are kind of your plans for Little Cliff going forward? Like, are you is, are you wanting to kind of grow this and be your full time thing, or do you like kind of having, um, you know, working kind of the big design job and the small, um, not small as in insignificant, but smaller detail um, mending business. Um, yeah, what are, what are your plans? Yeah, I think I still have a lot to learn in terms of running a business. So right now it seems like a good capacity and a good pace for me. 
but Mm -hmm. I have a lot of things that I want to do that I don't have the capacity for yet that I want to move into. Um, Like I'm really excited about teaching classes. Um, That's something I get questions about all the time and I'd love to do it, but I don't have background. Um, But I recently connected with some people at a pop-up actually that um, are looking for a mending instructor. Um, And so that's kind of in the works. I'm really excited about that. So keep an eye out for this fall, potentially (laughs) offering some classes. Um, I've also had a lot of uh, people ask just for like basic um, sewing techniques, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. like, you know, sewing a button is, you know, pretty advanced um, to a lot of people. So like just offering basic men's like that, um, I think would be an excellent class and something that I could share. Yeah, Um, yeah, definitely. Because then it doesn't necessarily take your time to do each one, but you can mm -hmm. still help people like, hey, here's how you can mend your own button or whatever. Right. Like I don't mind sewing your own buttons. I have like a trove of buttons that I've been collecting over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if I can help people to like, you know, do their own mending, I love that too. Um, I don't want to be the only person that knows this skill I want to share with other people. Mm-hmm. Really helpful. And, you know, um, so <laughs> you might, you know, lose a button on a trip or like encounter a rip when you're you know, in a hurry or something like that, and I might not be able to help. So helping people to learn those skills would be awesome. And then that's just more people that can help keep their clothing around longer and not have to throw things away. So that makes mm-hmm. me happy. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm always like, oh, I don't want to throw it away. So I'm, I'll, yeah, I'm always like refashioning if I can or cutting it up, you know, Absolutely. cutting up something old and making like rags or sponges or something out of it you know an old towel or whatever totally like I don't want to throw it away (laughs) right like I've been collecting my uh thread scraps and little fabric pieces that are too small and I hope to use them for like pillow stuffing or something one day because I don't want to throw anything out yeah yeah I haven't found a good use for like I do end up with tiny scraps like that and I'm always like oh I wish I had like a good way of using this right now or a good way of like collecting it for future projects so if you ever need scraps and you find a good like process of using them I can I can send some your way yes please any any fabric remnants that you think are like too insignificant to hold on to I will find a use for them Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Cause like I keep anything that like you can cut still like a piece of something out of, Mm -hmm. but like there are some pieces where it's like, okay, this is like a one inch little triangle, you know, (laughs) what are we going to do with this? (laughs) Like I have boxes in my studio that are like varying sizes of scraps. Like I have a bin that's like cut up clothes and then a box of like, mm, like less than a foot swatches and then like smaller and smaller and then to like shreds mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah sometimes you get a mend that only requires like a inch by inch piece of fabric so those come in handy but um it is kind of scrambly looking in the studio sometimes like why am I holding on <laughs> to all of these things mm-hmm. yeah yeah I get it I have I have to like contain my fabric stash too because like I don't have you know I'm only really holding fabric if it's for a client project or for like a personal like making my own clothes 
And there's only so much of that I actually do. Right, exactly. Some things end up being in bins for like years and then you revisit it one day and you're like, oh wait, oh my gosh, I forgot I had this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've definitely done that. Yeah. But the nice thing too is that like sometimes I get a garment that I don't know what to do with immediately. And then after a couple of months of kind of seeing it in passing, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what to do with this now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like the fabric or whatever just like speaks to you. And you're like, I know just what this is for. Oh, totally. I've learned a lot through specific clients too that bring in things that I've never worked on before. And then by working through that project with them, it's like, oh, I learned a new skill that I can apply to these other things that I didn't know how to work on before. So that's great. So fun. So I have one more question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design or make, what would it be? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that um, everything in your closet is worth salvaging if it spoke to you the first time when you bought it or when you acquired it somehow, um, it's worth holding on to. So even if it's worn or if it's a style that's you know not very trendy at the moment, or if you have change sizes and it doesn't fit in the same way, I think it's still worth re-examining and figuring out um, what kind of life it could have um, outside of the garment you originally purchased. Um, And I would absolutely love to help anyone with that process. I want you to hold on to those things that you find special as long as possible. Cool. I love that. Yeah. It's like, Everything does. I mean, so I feel like fashion and clothing is so personal too. It's like you bought it for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. um, and because you, you liked how you felt in it when you wore it or you wore it, you got it for a special event or yeah, it felt soft, you know, when you put it on or yeah, just, or even the memories of like what you, like something you did while wearing that outfit or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely have pieces where I'm like, I'm never getting rid of this because it's, you know, special for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Cool. Well, this has been so much fun, Alexis, to talk more about your your background in the industry and um, all the experience you've had in different brands and then now with your mending business. So thanks for um, doing this with me today. Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And um, where can people find more out more about, where can people find more about you and Little Cliff online? Um, sure. So my website is uh, littlecliff.shop and my Instagram handle is the same thing at littlecliff.shop. Um, my email is alexis at littlecliff.shop. Um, drop me a line anywhere. Um, I'd be happy to talk to you. Amazing. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.